And the title of this morning's message is, When I Grow Up. And the Bible says in verse number 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. See, some of y'all thought Jesus was the first one to say that. A lot of the stuff Jesus said comes out of the Old Testament, whether it's Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. He quoted a bunch of the law, and that was part of the, of the original law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart, that you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk down the road and when you lie down and when you rise up you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorpost of your houses and on your gate so before i jump into the message this morning i want to hit on some of these verses that we just read just for a second and it says in verse number seven you shall teach them to your children diligently and I want to encourage you as parents, you begin to teach your children. Um, the staff here at the Way Bible Church has you and your kids for a maximum of about an hour and a half to two hours a week. The school has them for about 40 hours a week and you got them for the rest of the time and you expect us to make the biggest influence on their life in an hour and a half. And I'm going to tell you, we can't. We can't. So the Bible doesn't say as he's reading this for the priest or the Levites to teach everybody. It says you Teach these statutes diligently to your kids, and this is how you are to do it. You shall talk with them about it when you sit down in your house. You shall talk about it when you drive down the road in your car, right? You shall talk about it when you eat, and you shall talk about it when you wake up. You shall talk about it at night before you go to bed, and you shall make it, as the Bible says, a sign on your hand. Some of you parents ought to just write a scripture on your hand. So every time you pick up your phone, you're like, I better talk to my baby about Jesus today. Amen? It says, where as a frontlet between your eyes, and some of y'all are wondering, what's a frontless? Well, in the, in the Hebrew culture, sometimes they wear head decorations where they have a jewel that hangs down between their eyes, and it's called a frontless, frontlet, and it means always keep the word of God right there before you. So you're always seeing that before you see everything else behind it. Teach your kids to have the word of God that close to them so they see it first and everything is uh, filtered through the lens of the Bible before they see all the junk in the world. This is how we're supposed to teach our kids. And listen, it doesn't say to sit down and have an hour sermon prepared for your kids. It's talking to them. Teach them applicably in life the word of God such as we just got done with the series um, called Free, and we went through the whole armor of God. When you have a child, and they're still under five years old, a lot of times you're still helping them get dressed, and when you put their little belt on, why don't you tell them, you know, God's given us clothes to wear. And he's given us a breastplate of righteousness that goes on about just like this shirt does as you put it on. And he's given you shoes for your feet that fit about like these do, so don't lose your shoes or you'll get in trouble, but don't lose your peace either or you'll get in trouble. Amen. <laughs> Come on. You don't have to figure out how to preach a message. You just got to figure out how to uh, physically apply the word of God as you're going through your day. As you get your kids breakfast ready. I don't care if it's a Pop-Tort as you're walking out the door. Or I don't care if you fix your kids bacon and eggs and hash browns and everything else. If you do that, I'm coming to your house for breakfast. But as you're laying whatever it is in front of them for breakfast, just say, you know, I'm giving you food this morning. But Jesus said he's got food that we know nothing about. He's got the bread of life, and so I want you to depend on the Word of God just as much as you do this Pop-Tart that I'm giving you for breakfast. And by the way, son, the, the Word of God is way more healthy than this Pop-Tart. Forgive mom and daddy for that's all we're feeding you, <laughs> right? And I'm going to tell you, physically just apply the Word of God to your daily life. Jesus did great at it. 
That's why he was one of the most powerful prophets that ever lived, the most powerful prophet that ever lived, one of the greatest teachers that ever lived, because everything he did, he gave a physical workday illustration to the word of God. You do the same. You parents are very, very smart. You just got to use your intelligence and apply it to the word of God and figure out how it applies to every day of your life. And so when you're driving down the road listening to the radio and you hear this great, amazing Christian song come on the radio, right? And you hear this great, amazing Christian song that says, our praise will ever be on our lips before God. You can just turn the radio down and say, you know, it doesn't really matter what we're going through. We're always going to just praise God. Not necessarily praise God for the problem we're in, but we're going to praise him through the midst of the problem we're going through. And you make it very applicable when you're driving down the road, it says. It says, walk down the road. I'm glad we got cars. We get to drive down the road. And some of you who brought a boat to church this morning, I didn't know if you were going fishing or just trying to get home, right? But even as you're going to the lake, it doesn't matter. Talk about it with your kids, right? And make it very applicable in your everyday life. And so understand this. You don't have to be, a perf- you don't have to be perfect to raise a family, amen, but you do have to be free. You don't have to be perfect to raise a family, but you do have to be free to raise a family. you got to be free from a couple different things this morning. First of all, you got to be free from your past. you got to be free from your past. And listen, I'm going to say some things this morning that I don't want you guys to take heavy-handed, okay? I'm going to do my best to put some jokes in here, even though I'm not the, the funny one in the family. That's obviously Jeff. He can, make, he can come up with a joke of anything. What? Yeah. I didn't say they were good jokes. I said he could come with a joke. And everybody said amen. Come on. Except Hunter. He didn't say amen. And so throughout this process, and I'll just tell you a funny story just even coming to this message here this morning. I was eating lunch with a good friend last week, and we just got done with the free series, and we were talking about angels and demons. And he said, what are you preaching on next week? I said, child dedication service. And I said, well, I guess it's angels and demons, you know. I mean, it's, it's the way it really is. And so we're dealing with all this kind of stuff. And so the first thing you got to be free from is you got to be free from your past. Not just the bad parts. The good parts. Some of you are in your mid-40s and you got kids and all you can talk about is how you were the all-star on your team when you were 17. If that is the best thing that's happened in your life since 17, you got bigger problems. than the, Right? I mean, we got, we got people who are telling their kids how phenomenal they were at this certain sport in high school. Get rid of your, your quarterback issues. I'm glad you were the all-star quarterback of your team. But if you're 42, that shouldn't be the most influential moment of your kids raising. And, come on. I mean, I'm just telling you. And so in this process, you're going to have to be free from your past to raise your kids properly today. You should be inspired and you should be way more successful than anything you ever did at high school today that you can say, I did this in high school, but look what God's doing in me now. He's still working on me and he's not done with me. I may not do things perfect, but this is what God is doing in my life. And so you need to be free from your past. You need to be free from the lenses of your hurt and pain. Listen, I know your mommy and daddy didn't raise you perfect. Okay? And that's okay. They weren't perfect and neither are you. But don't raise your kids through your lenses of hurt. Right? Don't raise your kids through your lenses of hurt. Listen, just because you got hurt in a church when you were a kid doesn't mean all churches are bad. Right? And so you just decided to come to this crazy one outside of town that nobody, I mean, you know. 
right? All churches aren't bad just because you got church hurt. And listen, don't raise your kids through the lenses of your pain and hurt. Just because you were broke like I was growing up as a kid doesn't mean you can't raise your kids good and not be broke. Don't raise your kids through your lenses of hurt and your pain. And also this, you got to be free from the mistakes of your parents. Mm. Be free from the mistakes of your parents. I'm sorry your daddy worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week to keep a roof over your head and you got daddy issues. I'm sorry. Let it go. I'm, I'm sorry your mama did what she did and she snapped at you when, you when you thought you were doing something right and you got bitterness in your heart. Let it go. Because you'll find out that many of you have done the same things to your kids. You're just not realizing it yet. And so when you're loose from those hurt and pains, they'll never experience those same hurt and pains. They'll experience a whole world of their own because we're not perfect. Right? We're not. As much as we try to be, we're not. But listen, you don't have to be perfect to raise a family, but you do have to be free. You got to be free to hear from God, and you got to be free to listen to God and let God do amazing things in your life. And listen, many times we have more faith in our past failures than we do in the promises of God for our future. Many times we have more faith in our past failures than we do for the promises of God for our future. And what I mean by that is this. If your kid wants to go do something and he wants to go try something new at school and you say, no, don't do that because you'll never be good at that because your past failures shouldn't dictate the promises of God for your kids. And the more faith we put in our past failures, the more we hinder and shackle and confine our kids and hinder them from being what God has called them to be. So quit putting faith in your past failures and the next time you have an inspirational idea to do something crazy and neat and outside the box that you know is from God, jump in and go do it. Jump out there. And quit thinking about how many times you failed in the past. Start thinking about the promises of God that he said he has for you right now and for your future moving forward. Some of you, the best thing you can do is quit your $100,000 a year job and go follow your dream. Best thing you could do for your life. Because you put more destiny in a dollar than you do your dream. And you'll never be happy following a dollar, but you'll be satisfied and fulfilled following your dreams. I'm telling you the truth. And sometimes your dream will make more than you ever realized. You just got to follow what God's placed in your heart. So as we begin this morning, I want to encourage you with this and those words, because what I'm about to tell you is not so much along those same lines. We are in a crisis state in the United States of America. This is stats from the United States Department of Health and Services. 65% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway youths are from fatherless homes. 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorder are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 70% of youths in state institutions are from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients and substance abuse centers are from fatherless homes. 85% of rapists motivated by displaced anger are from fatherless homes. And this is from an old school census bureau, 2009, a long time ago. And it says 13.7 million single uh, parents are in America. 22 million children are raised by single parents. That's more than a quarter of America's children are being raised by single parents. 82% of those uh, custodial parents are their mothers. 36% 36% of custodial mothers have never been married. 
76% of single moms have full-time jobs and 30% of custodial mothers and their children live below the poverty lines. And these stats are the good numbers because they don't include absentee dads or grandparents raising their kids. So everything I just told you was the positives about the negatives in the United States. Can I tell you, it's time to make history today. It's time to make history today. It's time to plant trees and not flowers. It's time to plant something that will last, not plant something to be a decoration on somebody's table. It's time that we plant something that will last for an eternity. Because get this, children may be 25% of our population, but they are 100% of our future. And listen, how you treat your kids today will determine whether you die in a nursing home or not. Come on. I know that sounds funny. I know that sounds funny, but I'm telling you, treat your kids good today because they're dictating the rest of your life later. Because I'll tell you this, the biggest grievance on my heart is I don't want my daddy and mommy to die in a nursing home somewhere where I just go visit them once or twice a week. I want to be so influential in my kid's life that even when I'm 90, they want to have me around. That my great-grandbabies want to have me around when I'm 90 hearing stories of how daddy and days of old, granddaddy, great-granddaddy in days of old did crazy stuff like jumped off the roof of a house onto a trampoline and just, I want them to hear stuff from me. But to do that, I got to be in their life. So how you treat the 25% of our population today will strictly dictate and 100% dictate how you live the rest of your life tomorrow. And so in this process... Of we are in a crisis state, I say we begin to plant trees, not plant flowers. Plant something that will grow, that we can build houses out of, not plant something that we put on a table for decoration that's dead and gone in a few days or weeks or months. I say we today make a decision that we plant something different that will have a profound effect on this day and the generations to come. That God will do something amazing in our life. As I said, and I'm going to say this again, you don't have to be perfect to raise a family. But you do have to be free. We're going to get into this a little bit this morning. I'm going to jump into talking about discipleship this morning and, and Jesus and his disciples. But the thing I want to reiterate is you are the biggest influence in your kid's life. And whether you realize it or not, you are the ones discipling your kids for good or for bad. Because they'll end up being like you more than they'll end up being like anybody else. And so when Jesus said this in the Gospels, he said, follow me. He meant literally. He didn't mean figuratively. He said, follow me. And when he said, follow me, he meant it literally, not figuratively. Listen, the greatest mission field in the world is not the foreign mission field. It's your home. The greatest mission field in the world is not the foreign mission field. It's your home. It's your house. It's that four-walled structure that you go to each and every day because the most prized possessions in the world should be right there in that home, and they should be your family. Now, if God calls your home and your family to be in the middle of South Africa somewhere doing mission work, great. But your biggest mission field is in your home, and your home should dictate how you do missions around the world. So today, when Jesus said, follow me, literally, he didn't mean it figuratively. He really meant follow me. And your kids will be following you, literally, whether you like it or not. And here's the thing. Jesus said, go into all nations and make disciples of all nations not converts he said go make disciples of all nations not converts and today I find out that we're doing something very startlingly wrong in the Western culture church is that we're simply raising up a generation of people that acknowledge me but don't really follow me 
We're raising up a generation of kids that acknowledge Jesus, but really don't follow Jesus. They acknowledge him on Sunday mornings. We say, praise you, Jesus. Your praise will ever be on my lips. And we sing all those great, uh, amazing contemporary worship songs. And we raise kids that acknowledge Jesus. Yes, I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I believe in him with all my heart. We raise kids that acknowledge Jesus and say, when we get married, we're going to do it in a church because we're Christians. That's what Christians do. We acknowledge them, but we really don't raise up kids to truly follow him, to live up, to drop everything they have and go after Jesus with all their heart. Jesus said, follow me, and he didn't mean it figuratively, he meant literally. And in today's world, if we're going to plant something that's going to last for a long time and not flowers that sit as decorations on a table, we must begin to have our kids follow him literally, not just acknowledging him figuratively. See, because we're good about going to church on Sunday morning when, the chari- when your children should be experiencing church every day of the week at the house. Because you don't go to church, you are the church. We gather in a box that's made of metal on Sunday morning and we celebrate faith together. But church shouldn't be what you come to. Church is what you should be the other six and a half days of the week. You should come here to get refreshed. You should go out there and be. But we even raised a generation in this room to acknowledge him. But are we really following him? We acknowledge him. We love him. We love him on Sunday mornings like nobody's business. We love him. It's when Monday afternoon comes. Are we following him? Jesus said, follow me, not acknowledge me. The truth is, we're making disciples And the problem is what they look like. Have you ever heard this saying? He's got a temper just like his daddy. (laughs) Right? Come on, all the men said, ladies, that was your chance to say amen, by the way. (laughs) Amen? Come on, elbow. I saw wives do this. Mm. Mm. All husbands are going, getting that flinch going on. Listen, we're raising disciples whether we realize it or not. How about this one? She acts just like her mama. Men, don't say amen. I'm saving you trouble. I'm saving you all kinds of trouble. She acts just like her mama, right? The problem is we're raising disciples. It's just not the kind we want to see. We're raising them. We're raising them day in and day out. We're raising disciples to be just like us. And I find a problem with that because if these were the good statistics I just read with us, it's only going to just get worse, but it goes exponentially worse. For the next generation. And so listen to this. Let's raise a different type of disciple. And all you single moms out there, I'm going to encourage you right now. Single moms, I I love, y'all give single moms a hand clap who are in church. I mean, single moms rock, by the way. And I'm going to go ahead and preface it like this too. Single dads rock too. Single dads are awesome too. But listen to this verse for single moms and single dads out there. 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, Timothy, I see it in you as well. Moms out there who are struggling, you single moms out there who say, I just don't know how my son or my daughter ever even has a chance. This is how they have a chance. 
Paul raised up a young man named Timothy, and he said, I don't see the faith I saw in his granddaddy or his daddy. I see the faith I saw in his mama and his grandmama. And so, mamas, if you'll begin to just exhibit a lifestyle of faith and of passion in front of your kids, whether you're single or married, God says he can raise somebody up who can pastor one of the largest churches that was ever pastored in the history of the world, and that was through Timothy. And so, listen, single moms, I don't know what happened to Timothy's dad and granddad. I don't know where they were. But I do know Paul makes a specific mention of his mama and his grandmama and the faith that they exhibited now is exhibited in their house. And so get ready because single moms, there's hope for you. Single dads, there's hope for you out there. And as we jump into this, Mark 10, 24 says, A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. See, the problem in the Western culture church is we've done this. The problem in the Western culture church is we've talked about a student-teacher relationship when the Bible talks about a rabbi and a disciple relationship. See, in America, student and teacher literally means this. A student wants to know what the teacher knows. A disciple wants to be who the rabbi is. Do you see the difference? A student wants to know what the teacher knows. A disciple wants to be who the rabbi is. And God's called us in this parenting relationship to be a rabbi to our kids who are following up after us and we are discipling them. And the problem is they are being who their rabbi is. And in this them being who their rabbi is, it's time that we have a change in how we disciple our kids. And so when Jesus said, follow me, he meant literally. It wasn't figuratively. He didn't say acknowledge me. He said follow me. And as you follow Christ, you're fixing to get an identity change. We need to see an identity change in the life of our kids. Acts 4.13 says this. Now they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, but everybody was still astonished and they had recognized that they had been with Jesus they recognized that they had been hanging around Jesus so much that they knew that they were uneducated they were common but something was still different how did they operate in this type of power but with this little education there's only one other man who did it and it was Jesus they had to have been hanging around him because they're doing the same things Jesus did now you see all these jerseys across the front of the stage. They all got dad and mom across the back of them. I see something that I think is very cute in American society today, but I also find it very a telling tale spiritually that we're in a crisis. You see the jerseys that mom and dads wear that says, so-and-so's daddy or so-and-so's mama. So-and-so's daddy or so-and-so's mama. Why are we gaining our identity by our four-year-olds rather than our four-year-olds gaining an identity of who their parents are. Now, there's nothing wrong if you got a t-shirt that says that. But spiritually, we got to see a change. Because our kids, uh, our kids are realizing that now that grandparents are saying, uh, grandparents, uh, so-and-so's grandparent, so-and-so's grandmama, so-and-so's granddaddy, so-and-so's daddy, so-and-so's mama, this four-year-old is now carrying the identity of the generations preceding him. Which may be cute on a baseball jersey, but spiritually, we find why we're going to hell quickly in a handbasket in the American culture. When our kids, our four-year-olds, are having to carry the identity of the family, rather than us rising up being true disciplers and rabbis in our household and saying, 
It's time that I carry the identity and I instill in my child the identity I want them to have. Now hang with me here because some of you are like, well, I want my child to grow up and be their own person. I'll get to that. So hang in there with me. But the problem we're facing is that our kids are by and large having to carry the identity of us and we are now recognized by our kids rather than our kids being recognized by us. There's a problem there. It's time that our kids should be recognized by us. I'll never forget, I was working the other morning uh, at the radio station, and a, and a guy came in, and he heard me talking on the radio. Didn't know who I was. I didn't know who he was. But he looked at me, and he said, you're Alan T. Myers' boy. You're Alan T. Myers' boy. And I said, yes, I am. And I had two thoughts go through my head. Say something bad, and I'm thinking about punching you in the face. <laughs> I'm just telling you who I am. I'm just I'm being real. <laughs> say something good, and I'll just say, thank you so much. Yeah, he's an awesome man, and I'll, and I'll accept the compliment. But I'm not having to carry the identity of my father. My father established in me such qualities and giftings that people still recognize him by me. Now, in 20 years, I hope my, or 20 years, or 40 years, or 60 years, and my great-grandchildren, I pray that I exhibit such qualities in my kids, in my grandkids, that they look at them and say, your great-granddaddy must have been Joel. Because I, re- I recognize that same red face, that same red-faceness, <laughs> When you talk is when he talks. Or whatever it's going to be. Our kids must not be the one to carry the identity of the family. We must carry the identity of the family. In doing that, it's going to take sacrifice. Now, let's talk about sacrifice for a minute. Because here's the problem. As parents, this is where I think the starting of it has gone wrong. Is that we have told ourselves, now that I have kids, I have to give up everything for my kid. When that is the wrong type of sacrifice. Now that you have kids, you must begin to think like this. Now that I have children, it's not my job to give up everything for my kids. It's my job to become all that I can be so my kids have a great example to follow. It's my job to now follow my dreams and my passions and my desire while taking good care of my family so I teach my kids how to have dreams, how to have passions, how to have desire. See, from the day one, as us giving up our lives as parents, we've made them give up on their dreams because all they think now is, I don't want to have kids because when I do, i got to quit doing stuff I want to and give up everything. We've established a spirit of defeat in our kids before they're even 12. Because all we do is complain about how much we've had to give up for them. Quit giving stuff up for them. Go be everything for them. Quit giving stuff up of you. Go be everything for them. Get this. The callings on Damon's life when he had kids didn't change. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. They're without repentance. And that means when Damon had kids, it wasn't just his job to preach and lead youth ministry. He better start doing it at a whole nother level because now he's got two little eyes and then two more little eyes watching him all the time at home, at church, everywhere else. And he now has to up his game and be all that he can be, not just be amazing at a service. I'm going to challenge you. Some of the best things you could do as parents is quit Uh, killing your dreams and start living your dreams quit killing your passions and start living a life with passion quit quit pushing things and repressing everything and think oh i'm doing it for the benefit of my kids the only thing you're doing to your kids is teaching them how to not dream how to not have passion and how to not want to get married and live in a godly household because all they saw you do is give up on life quit giving up on life it's time for parents and families to start living again and have your kids do it with you 
Start living again. And have your kids do it with you. I know I'm going to pick on Rusty here for a second. And I love this man. But I've been to his son's bedroom. And what he's got in his bedroom is he's got fire department stuff everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere. And I applaud him for that because he is not hiding the identity of who he is. He's teaching his son, I followed my dreams. This is who I wanted to be. And you know what his son's doing? I want to be just like my dad. I mean, that's awesome. You know, I got up this morning and, and I was thinking, what are people going to think of me that I'm wearing this to a child dedication service? <laughs> right? So I saw some of your faces when you walked in. He couldn't dress up better than that. He's taking pictures with my kids. <laughs> right? And I got up this morning with great pride and I put this shirt on and on the back this says, Dad. Because when I think of my dad, I don't remember all the fun stuff we did. I don't remember all the great times we had. What I remember about my dad is my dad taught me how to work. He taught me how to have work ethic. He taught me how to have integrity. He taught me how to be a man. He taught me how to grow up and take care of a family. He taught me even when you go through bankruptcies and you have every chance to leave your spouse, it may be better off to pick them up and move 1,800 miles to another state and start all over and stick the family together and get into a place where God can plant you and be a man of integrity and raise your family than to run away from it. And so when I put this jersey on this morning, I was glad to mark out the name on the back and put dad because I'm not ashamed to say, I want to grow up with those exact same qualities like my daddy has. And I pray that when kids begin to put on jerseys, that they'll want to mark out even my, one of my favorite players, and y'all can boo him if you want to, they'll want to mark out Tom Brady's name and put dad across it. That they'll want to mark out the name on the back and put mom on it because I want to be just like my mom. She taught me how to dream. She taught me how to live. She taught me how to do life and do it well. This is who we must become. Parents that don't have my son's name on the back, but parents that have kids saying, I want my dad's name on my back. Because I want to be just like daddy. I want to be just like my mom. Because that's the standard we're raising this next generation with. Kids that want to be just like us. To do that, you're going to have to give them a different identity. You're going to have to give them an identity that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Listen to this. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He wanted, Paul, Paul knew he wanted to live and be just like Jesus. That's why I said, I've crucified myself and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives within me. He said, I want a new identity. And if anybody needed a new identity, it was Paul, <laughs> right? Known for killing Christians, known for doing all the legalistic stuff, was, was the biggest terrorist that the church had ever seen in the beginning. And so if anybody needed a new identity, it was Paul. And so you in your life, I don't care how much bad you've done, you may need to get a new identity this morning. But it's time to start instilling in our kids an identity found in Christ Jesus that says, with Christ, all things are possible to those who believe. Not with daddy, it's not all possible. But with Christ, all things are possible to them that believe. It's time that we start instilling an identity in Christ that says, greater is he that's in me than anything facing me in this world. I'm in Christ. It's time that we start establishing identity with them in Christ so that they can say, I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves me and gave himself for me and I can be what God has called me to be. 
in them finding their own identity, you better encourage them in their own personality. And here's why I said, if you want your child to grow up and be who they're called to be, good. Let them have their own personality. But their identity needs to be found in Christ. I pray our kids live in such a way that they don't have to have a bracelet that says WWJD on it for them to know that they're identified with Christ. I pray that if they live in such a way that says, wow, he's acting just like Christ acts. If clothing has to tell about your identity, you need to change your clothing because you're not living the right identity. If the only way people know you're saved is because you got a fish on the back of your car, take the fish off. If you teach their kids to be confident in their identity, they will be bold and secure in their personality. I got two sons, opposite as the day is long. I have one child who's shy. I have one child who blesses hearts just like me and runs headlong into a door. I love the kid, but I'm like, son. And I'm teaching them their identity in Christ while embracing their separate personalities. Because the funny thing about their separate personalities is my older son, who is the shyer one, has more of an identity in Christ than the younger one because he's, we've been teaching him, we've been discipling him longer, he's been alive longer, so he's got more of an identity in Christ. So when he begins to talk about the Bible, he becomes the bold one. His face starts getting a little red like mine. He is the one who is passionate about the word of God. I got home really late one Monday night and he went in his room and I prayed over him and he smiled and said, Daddy, I waited up for you to pray with me. You want to talk about, oh Lord, he's watching. I'm just saying, in this, he has his own personality. I embrace it. If he's shy, let him be shy because honestly, I was one of the most shy kids you'll ever meet up until about ninth or 10th grade until literally I found my identity in Christ and then everything switched. It was a switch like that. I became bold in who I was. So I'm embracing his shyness. I'm not encouraging him to be shy. I'm encouraging him in his identity in Christ. Now this one over here, I'm just having to encourage him to just start listening. But I know that his boldness that's already there is his personality. And I love the identity I get to instill in him in Christ. Now he even prays with me at night. We have this prayer. We pray every night. And Caleb can almost quote it word for word. Aaron can get about every third word. And he loves that because he says it with a big old smile. So I love their identity that they're finding in Christ, but I'm not going to hinder their individual personalities. My personality and my brother's personality are completely different, but we know our identity in Christ, so we're both confident in how we both do ministry. Encourage them in their personality. You set their identity. Let them be identified with Christ. If we establish our children's identity, we'll be raising a generation that gets planted, that becomes literally a tree that the Bible says is a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and everything they do, it prospers. 